Welcome to episode two of the Just Follow Jesus podcast, friends. We're so glad that you joined us. On this week's episode, we explore a host of rich topics grounded in this week's scripture, Mark chapter two, verses one through 17. Among them, we delve deeper into the four primary spiritual postures we see in the gospel of Mark, the impact of curiosity and spiritual growth, and what Ryan thinks is the most crucial characteristic to cultivate if we are to avoid becoming a modern day Pharisee. We end our conversation today unpacking the nuanced but important distinction between believer and follower, naming what we believe scripture elevates as central to the life of active faith. If you have more questions about our conversation today, something you heard in a sermon, or would like to share a story of how God is transforming you through this series or podcast, we'd love to hear from you. And so invite you to email us at jfjpod at northcoastcalvary.org. Now, let's jump into this week's conversation, exploring Mark chapter 2, verses 1 through 17, as we learn to just follow Jesus. Well, Ryan, it's episode 2 of the Just Follow Jesus podcast, and Yay. you... You, sir, are about to set a personal record here at North Coast Calvary Chapel for the <laughs> most consecutive weekends that you have preached. Yes, I've never preached four messages in a row at our church. So you, how are you feeling? I feel uh, like Chuck Yeager. I'm breaking the sound barrier <laughs> right now. I can feel the plane rumbling. <laughs> this Monday morning, I woke up feeling a little tired, but uh, I'm so excited. I just feel momentum building for mm -hmm. me personally. Yeah. Momentum in the content, momentum in the preaching experience, but also momentum relationally with the church. Mm. Tell me about that. So you've been, you know, you've preached three weekends thus far with some awesome messages that have had a lot of different thing elements into them. You've walked us through some some healing moments. You've also uh, you've given invitations to faith. And so, just real briefly before we transition into focusing on the bulk of chapter two, one through 17, and what, what you might want to explore further there. Um, yeah. Have you seen or heard of different ways that God's been moving in and through the church as we have started this deep dive into Mark? Well, on a number of levels, I think one, I'm thinking of what, just with the content itself, I'm finding that my hope is coming into reality that people are engaging with the scripture with more fresh enthusiasm and excitement. Mm. Uh, people are highlighting, underlining, and for some people that's just normal for them. But I would say it's fair to say that the vast majority of our church community doesn't do that. Mm. And uh, I love that using the book is training people to, to get their hands into the soil of the scripture, I guess mm -hmm. is the best way to put mm -hmm. it. Uh, secondly, I'm watching people with the book, use it to invite people into the experience. So a lot of people have been telling me how, they bought it for their neighbors, their family, for people who don't even live in the area. And people are following the, our study from Las Vegas, um, from Come out on. of the country. And it's actually allowing families to, to, do, to go through the series together who don't live together because they're separated by distance. Um, uh, and secondly, I think with the actual experience of the weekend services, how people are going through it, I've been noticing, uh, well, one highlight was the weekend we did uh, on healing, mm -hmm. I had someone, at least one, no, two people come up to me and share that they had had a, a healing experience mm. through that weekend service. Come on. That's so cool. Which I, I didn't ask their permission, so I can't share the details, yeah. but 
that was amazing. And I hope that we'll have more opportunities like that in the future at our church. Non-weird healing experiences at our church. <laughs> Why does it even have to be weird? It shouldn't yes, be. Yes, let's go, dude. Non- can <laughs> Welcome to North Coast Calvary Chapel, a non-weird church. Yes, exactly. <laughs> oh, man. Um, well, cool. Thanks for just giving us a little bit of a window into how you've been experiencing uh, prepping for it and then, you know, delivering three sermons and the impact that you've started to see. I'm excited, too. I feel, you know, from my perch up in up in the booth, um, looking down over people's shoulders, it's really fun to see the amount of engagement that's going on, the amount of people that are bringing in you know, the, the Mark journal that we put together and, uh, in seeing people throughout the week, carrying it around, you know, I see I'm, my wife and I, you know, Kelly and I, we, we've got it in our house. We each have our own copy. So I'm, I'm thrilled that we're doing this and that we've got the opportunity to pick your brain a little bit more. So talk to us, Mark chapter two, one through 17 was a focus. And, um, I think that you had titled the sermon, Jesus calling. That's right. If I, if I remember correctly and the things that kind of immediately stood out to me is you offered us this, this really powerful, it's really powerful illustration, this gorgeous piece of artwork that depicted. <laughs> Stop. If you guys haven't yeah, watched my it, stick figures. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's Picasso stick figures. Yeah, it's the thing. It's the thing of beauty, dude. Um, I keep pushing him to to illustrate his own stuff with his stick figure drawings on the iPad because I think that they're great. They but, are my five loaves and two fish, to be sure. There you go. There you <laughs> go, man. Um, we don't have to be perfect. Uh, we can be authentic. But you use that to identify for us four primary categories of characters that we see in the Mark story that correspond in lots of ways to four different primary heart postures that you've seen as a pastor and that you see in our world currently. Um, and the first is the teachers of the law are the Pharisees. And those are, are skeptics. Those are people who have doubts about God in different capacities. Um, there's a, there's a barrier between them and the life of faith. Then you, uh, detailed out, or maybe they, they've also, maybe they've been offended by God. Then there's the tax collectors and sinners. And those are people who have spiritual curiosity. So they're open to hearing, to learning. There isn't this posture of defensiveness, there's a greater degree of openness, right? It's curiosity. Uh, but then there's the crowds and the crowds, the people who have moved past curiosity into a posture of seeking, they're actually pursuing. Okay, that's no, it, it's uh, the Pharisees are the skeptical. The crowd is the curious because they're uh, coming, they're listening, they're okay, watching. Okay. Attacks, what are they doing? They're really just listening, watching. They're not criticizing, but they're attentive and they're present. Mm -hmm. Like you were just outlining, then it's the third group is the, uh, the tax collectors and the, the sinners that were invited by Levi. And then the paralyzed man who's carried by the friends. Yes. Thank you. That, uh, that makes much more sense. Yeah. We're going from Pharisees, which is a broader category to crowds, which is still big, big and kind of impersonal, but, but closer to Jesus and interested than the smaller setting, the, the sinners, the tax collectors, who, and then finally the friends and Levi and the paralyzed kid. Yeah, that's right. Okay. That was just, so is there anything, um, as you were preparing this message for us, um, what got left on the cutting room floor? That's part of the purpose of this podcast is for us to just create space for you to share with us things that you didn't perhaps get a chance to talk about. So it doesn't have to correspond to those four primary categories. I just wanted to reinforce those because they're so helpful for as a diagnostic tool for us 
in our own hearts or about understanding where people might be at at the spiritual journey and that our job as Christians is to meet them wherever they're at on the spiritual journey with love, with tenderness, and with the sort of emotional presence that Mark um, describes Jesus as bearing, that we're called to bear as well. Man, I love that you got that uh, out of the message because that's what I, my intent was. A couple of things to know about these four postures, there's a, there's a bit of a backstory to it. So it's a bit of a paradigm that was developed by a mentor of mine in evangelism when I was with InterVarsity. Mm. So I didn't refer to it in this way, but it was called the five thresholds. And then rather than four, there were five. I reduced it to four for simplicity's sake for our message. Um, but really what we noticed with college students over two decades of doing evangelism was that the journey of faith isn't from zero to a hundred, but it's, it's a series of steps over a period of time. Mm-hmm. And our job as believers isn't to convert people, but to meet them where they're at and help them take that next step. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's hard to know how to help people take a next step if you don't know where they are. And that has value both for the person who's not the believer and who's on that journey and the friend who's trying to come alongside them. Mm-hmm. And so we called it the five thresholds of faith and it helps the person who is on that journey to know, okay, this is where I'm at. And actually there's a destination out there. It actually creates a a goal because I think sometimes the idea that I'm on a spiritual journey and that there's a goal or destination is lost. It's like, I'm on a journey for the sake of the journey. And yeah, there's value in the journey in itself, Mm -hmm. but there's actually somewhere you're going. And, mm-hmm. if, and that's an, a gift to help a, a non-believer identify there's a possible destination for them. And that is a relationship with Jesus Christ. Um, secondly, it helps believers know how to better serve their friends. So if you have a friend who's a skeptic, for example, you don't want to treat them as a seeker. I'll tell you why. Because if there is truly a skeptic, then the first step for that person is to establish trust with them. Yeah. That you're a safe person to talk about spiritual things with. That's so different than a seeker. If you have a, if your friend's a seeker, then you actually need to be more forthcoming about Mm -hmm. giving them opportunities to learn about Jesus, to talk about Jesus, because they are closer and hungrier and more ready uh, and the conversation readiness is different. So in the one hand, it helps. Yeah. So it helps both people. So there's a bit of a backstory there and it comes from a lot of research. It wasn't just something willy nilly. I just didn't have a chance to go into it in the sermon. And, and there's a book out there called I once was lost. Again, I'll say that again. I once was lost by Doug Schaup and his last name is S C H A U P P Doug Schaup get in on Amazon and he walks through the whole five thresholds. Do you remember the full five thresholds off the top of your head? Yeah. He actually just separates the curious and the open. So it's skeptical, cynical. Um, And then it is, uh, if I remember correctly, it's, uh, it's curious. Mm -hmm. Then it is open. Mm. Then it's follower. I mean, uh, seeker, then it's follower. Gotcha. So he just separate out the curious and the open with the idea being, Curious is more of a passive. Yeah. When we talk, if you were to bring up spiritual things with me as a curious friend, yeah, I'll talk to you about it, but I'm not taking any initiative. Mm -hmm. I'm not telling me more. 
Um, a skeptic, on the other hand, you bring it up with me, I'm going to argue with you, or I'm going to like show disinterest, or I'm going to be like, don't bring that up with me. Yeah. Because you know what? You and I don't have trust to go spiritual. Yep. You don't even know my kids' names. So why are you talking to me about God? You do see what I'm saying? Absolutely. The open person is willing to make changes in their life to get to know God. Mm-hmm. The seeker is that high level of initiative, proactive. You don't even have to invite them. They're showing up to things even without you inviting them. Yeah. They just, you're like, oh, I forgot to tell you about church this weekend. And they're there. <laughs> you know what I mean? They're uh-huh, uh-huh. so close. They're asking you because they found resources they're engaging with and they've got questions. That's right. Yeah. Yeah. I love first, that's just a fun, that's what this podcast is about. It's a fun little uh, nugget there to learn that there's a background behind the four kind of phases that you laid out for us. And yeah, the idea that this is a progression, that there's a, there is a purposeful point to this journey, but there's distinct phases on it. Absolutely. It's important uh, for the people on the journey to recognize that I have this sneaking suspicion though, that you can, people can grow up in the church and not recognize that there are these distinct uh, phases of faith and can mistake arriving at one as mature faith. So I know for me personally, I, when I listened to your sermon, I was like, oh man, you know, if I'm being really honest, uh, I lived way more in the Pharisee, the skeptical offended phase, even as I claimed to be a Christian, even as I went through some certain levels of theological education. And so I'm wondering if you could talk to me about that. Is this just a linear progressive thing or is this, are these sort of heart postures that if we're not careful in the life of faith, we can kind of, we can slip back into. Does that make sense? Any model is going to overly segment and compartmentalize things that are more fluid and organic and overlapping. Mm Mm-hmm. To be frank, I think at any given moment, all of us have a little of all of those things, all those postures in our hearts. It, I mean, it depends on the issue. Yeah. You might be a total evangelist for why the Bible is God's word and we need to say the Bible. You could be a total like follower, read the Bible. But um, you might be more of the skeptic when it comes to the Holy Spirit. You're a believer. You're all in for Jesus. I had someone Sunday night come to me and say, I am a skeptic when my friends talk to me about the Holy Spirit and the gifts of the Spirit. Because mm-hmm. my family told me, don't seek signs and wonders. That's going to get you off track. Yes. And so they've just always held that stuff at, at arm's length. Mm-hmm. So that's how it can all be in us. The thing that's important about the Pharisees, though, if we go back to the Pharisees for a minute, and I tried to really hit this in the weekend service, is not that they had doubts or that they had doubts or that they were experiencing offense. The problem is that they were, they were harboring it. And they were, well, in the past we looked at, they were, they were initially keeping it to themselves. And then they were not going to Jesus. They were going to the disciples in the next section next week. We're going to see that they do go to Jesus eventually about the way he doesn't fast and the way he allows his disciples to eat grain Mm -hmm. on the Sabbath. So they're going to him. The problem is they're not going to him with a readiness to learn. They're going to him with their doubts as ammunition to justify the distance that they are experiencing between them Mm -hmm. and Jesus. See, we are justified in not jumping on your bandwagon, Jesus. It's like, I gotcha. Uh Exactly. Uh And I think that can happen for us as Christians, especially people who've been in the church, because you know what? Sometimes we, uh, we, we can get reactive to the bandwagon feel the group think feel in church. Mm -hmm. I don't want to just be like everybody else. 
And we start to identify it, find identity in those doubts. And we hold on to that doubts sometimes not because, I don't know, because they really like our uh, things that we are curious about and want to learn mm-hmm. and work through, but because they make us, they give us some sense of identity. Like, yeah, I see, I'm like a deep Christian. Or see, yeah, I don't just buy all yeah. this hook, line, and sinker. Uh-huh. And there's something noble about being that gritty Christian who is kind of discontent. I don't know. Mm-hmm. But the point being is the Pharisees are not coming to learn. They're coming to win an argument. Yes. Which I, the way that you used that idea of doubt, reframing doubt, we so often in, in the religious space, the Christian space, particularly the evangelical world is doubt is a scary word. It's almost a four letter word. Like, Hey, don't doubt is the antithesis to faith faith. When yeah. you're, you're saying, no, 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 actually doubt in a very real sense, because we're limited creatures, because the world is full of complexity, mystery and brokenness. It's a matter of when, not if you experience doubt on your f- journey of faith. But the key thing is not that you have them. It's what you do with them yeah. and the posture, how it. you, how you hold them. So yes, do you use your doubts as a weapon to, to maintain distance between yourself and others oh, between yeah. yourself and God? Or do you see doubt as an invitation to get curious about an aspect of God yeah. or reality that you don't know about? To remember my mentor, you remember that line that my mentor gave me that I thought was so cheesy, but mm. Remember, he had a mentor who told me, don't get furious, get curious. Oh, come on. Dude. <laughs> it's so cheesy. I know it rhymes, but, but it's kind of true, right? It just, maybe that'll stick, you know. Dude, we're going to make it. I feel like we should <laughs> make a, a merch line now. We'll have a t-shirt, you know. And uh, Oh, dude, we can see if we can get permission to use the Curious George face. And we'll just say, don't get furious, get curious. Yeah. Get curious, <laughs> not furious. Yeah, you can play with it either uh. way. What were the doubts? I, I don't know if you want to go here, but Joseph, like what's an example of areas of skepticism that you experienced as a lifelong Christian? I mean, you're a very devoted follower of Jesus and I have a lot of respect for your faith. Mm-hmm. I know you personally, um, you're well-educated, but what's an example for you? Well, it's funny when you, thanks for asking, uh, when you were describing, uh, that, uh, that person who came up to you in the Sunday night service and talked about skepticism around the Holy spirit. Uh, that's, that's a part of my story. You know, um, my parents had a background in that actually probably one of my, if if you are ever in a men's skills course with me or just in a small group or know me or ask me this question, you'll hear this story I'm about to share, which is that one of my earliest spiritual wounds was not getting the gift of tongues because yeah. everybody in my family because my parents came from a, a religious context where that was normative and that was a sign that you were part of the club and you were really saved. And my parents did a great job about talking about that in really healthy ways. They didn't make it seem like this, hey, you're in or you're out, but that's the way my little mind had interpreted it. And so when the time came for the family to lay hands on me and pray that I would receive that, I had been a part of that process for my two elder siblings and watched them receive that. I see. And, you know, my dad, my mom, both my dad would pray in tongues over us at night, you know, as he was at, when he was saying goodnight to us and everything. And so then to not get it, I was filled with a sense of shame. And so for a long time, it was that woundedness that was actually the fuel for my doubt and my cynicism when it came to things of the Holy Spirit and different ways that God would encounter us, speak to us or heal us. And so 
you know, that's been a, an element of my faith journey that I've, I only was finally ready. God, I was only finally ready to be taken there. Um, I don't know, maybe starting five years ago when, yeah, I was overloaded in the theological education category and underdeveloped in the heart, the open, curious heart that was ready to be met by the Holy Spirit. And um, a big part of the reason why I feel like I've experienced a lot of the growth and the healing that I have is because I've been in the context of a community of people who understood this concept of the journey that we're talking about and who didn't shame me when they recognized that there was cynicism or skepticism around this area. They encouraged me to be curious. Like, Joseph, you're a curious person. Why don't you just try it? Try like, just see what happens. And Hey, if it's not your thing, that's fine. You know? Um, but I've encountered God like this and I think it'd be really cool if you did, didn't pressure me. And eventually, you know, um, yeah, I started to have some of those sorts of experiences and begin to see God move in different ways in my life and in the lives of people that we love. And now I've seen God do stuff and continuing to do stuff in our church. Now, isn't that a perfect example of what the Christian community is for? Yes. To create a safe place to stoke healthy, godly curiosity. That's awesome, Joseph. I didn't know that story. I do remember one time I was backstage in the green room praying before a sermon. I was ready to go and preach mm-hmm. on stage. And uh, I, was, we were, I was back there with a buddy. We were praying in tongues. Mm-hmm. That's something I, I tend to do, getting ready to preach. And you joined us. Mm-hmm. Do you remember that? Oh, dude. <laughs> that was so cool. I didn't know the, all the history behind you joining us there. Hmm. Yeah, that was, awesome to hear. that was a moment where I was terrified. I, uh, I really wanted to, to not be there but somebody had thrown the gauntlet of curiosity and I just was like, Hey, I can't in good faith. I'm free to reject it after I've investigated it fully for myself and put myself in situations where I experience that. But if I haven't actually put myself in those situations, then I cannot in good faith say that I like I've appropriately judged this, you know? And so I was, yeah, I was still, I was at a pretty vulnerable spot there. And I remember I remember you looking at me and going, do you have a background in any of this sort of stuff? And I was just, and I was like, ah, sort of complicated. Yeah, yeah so exactly. It's like, ah, compl- complicated. And I was like, I just, I, is it okay if I'm just in the room? And you're like, yeah, yeah, cool. And then, uh, yeah, there's a lot more to that story. We can maybe unpack that. Um, well, here's what's time. beautiful about the, this paradigm of these threshold is that on the one hand, the more conscious we are of our own journey through these thresholds, even as believers, because the bigness of God's character and nature is so vast that as believers throughout our lifetime, we're going to come across aspects of God or in life in his kingdom. That's going to put us into the skeptical stage. Mm-hmm. And um, the more conscious we are of those things in our own life, the more gracious we are as spiritual companions to our non-believing friends. Yeah. Because in the end, we realize we are all growing in our faith towards God. And mm-hmm. we're not the ones that have it figured out and everybody else is on the outside. And that's what's so beautiful about the gospel of Mark, because the people you think would be on the inside are not. Mm-hmm. The religious leaders are not on the inside. They're on the outside stuck in their skepticism and their doubts because they don't want to join the party of sinners. And the sinner is just the person who's willing to admit, I don't know what I'm doing. I don't have all the answers. Jesus, I need help. Mm. And what a, what a gracious invitation 
that Jesus makes. If you insist on having all the answers and being and, ha- and uh, being perfect and thinking you got it all figured out, then you're, it's just going to be hard for you to really fit in with Jesus. Mm-hmm. So let me ask you this, Ryan. In you're in a unique position. You just transitioned into this role of lead pastor of our church, and so on a on a surface level, um, you map onto the religious leaders that are on the outside. Yeah. Now, I'm not obviously suggesting that that's <laughs> congruent with your internal experience, but I think that it's um, part of me goes, oh, well, hey, won't there be, um, aren't you just susceptible in some ways as, the, as those religious leaders were to ending up in the place that they did, in the, the place of detached, um, detached certainty rather than an open curiosity towards the living God, the one who's um, mysterious and by in the best sense, not in the sense that mystery, uh, that God is unknowable, but that God is infinitely knowable. Like you just, you just mentioned, Hey, if we're honest in this journey of faith, there's going to be, there's going to be points after you've known God for 10 years, you're going to, you're going to be led into a deeper, if you're willing, be led into a deeper encounter with him where your mind gets blown again. And you, you realize, man, oh my gosh, I know so little like time to begin and be born again right now, you know, um, and to, uh, to be humble and to be open and to not think that we've arrived. So I guess a long winded way of asking the question of, um, how, like, what is it that you do, uh, to prevent yourself from ending up with a posture like the Pharisees ending up on the outside as you're tasked with being a religious expert or leader? I think they're the posture of the Pharisees, their closedness to learning is born out of pride. Hmm. And I think pride beneath pride is insecurity. The fear that I don't have all the answers that I'm not in control. And that's what makes me a leader mm-hmm. as the leader. I should know everything. It's tempting. It really is. It is tempting to feel like I've got to know everything. Me personally. Yeah. I feel that. Uh, I had a mentor when I was in university tell me the day I, this is him talking at the time I was in my twenties and he was like my age. He said, the day I stopped learning from freshmen is the day I stopped growing as a spiritual leader. I was like, wow. What? I, you gotta understand freshmen. They're so annoying. <laughs> Love all you freshmen. If you're listening, but come on, let's be honest. Your freshman year. It's so awkward. Mm-hmm. Freshmen are so awkward. They're, in a new environment, don't know anybody. They're so awkward. And they, sometimes they can really puff up to look like they know everything. So that's, it's saying a lot for this, this midlife guy who was, who's just such a wise person, Chris Nichols, to say that to me. And that really taught me something. You've always got to be learning from other people and be careful. The people you should least, that you might least think you need to be learning from, be open to them and what God might Mm -hmm. teach you through them. So I just feel like I try to constantly maintain a posture of learning and so when I'm meeting with people at our church and talking to people, I'm always looking for where God has got something to teach me and say to me through the questions, the feedback. You know, I, had, like I, I shared about a couple that came in and wanted to meet with me and talk about a topic that they were having a hard time with, something that I'd been teaching on. And, and uh, I, I, it really was a great experience listening to them and bring the reasons for their 
concerns. Mm. And even though I didn't change my mind or my opinion, um, I learned a lot listening to them. Mm-hmm. And um, I think it's just being able to learn from others. That helps me. Yeah. And not feel like I have to have all the answers. And I'm grateful to be surrounded by really brilliant people. I am not the smartest person on our staff team. I don't mean that as a false humility. Like I really probably am not. There are people on our staff team that know things, know about things more than I do. Mm. At any given moment, I guarantee you there's someone on staff who probably knows more about any given passage I'm studying than I do at that moment. Mm. I, that's that's was what I've experienced. Ah, I, I'm not threatened by that. That's comforting. And I, I learn. I'm constantly learning. Mm-hmm. I think if I stop doing that, then I'm more likely to become like, I think like the Pharisees. But it's real. It's real. <laughs> Temptation. Well, thanks for, uh, thanks for getting personal for a second there. That's, uh, I can attest to having watched you on staff that, uh, that curiosity, that willingness to learn from any given situation and anybody in that situation, regardless of perceived status or expertise is, uh, one of the things that I, uh, I noticed early and I notice often about you and your leadership style. So yeah. Don't ever change, Ryan. <laughs> Thanks, and if you do, we'll call you out because you'll get you'll get bitter and Pharisaical. Like, Look, there goes a Pharisee. Um, well, hey, uh, we've reflected on a, a couple of different things. We spent most of our time around the idea of the Pharisees, the skeptic, the offended, uh, the this idea of the spiritual journey and some of the phases that you've, you laid out for us um, is, do you want to dive deeper into any other of the, the categories or is there a particular point of the passage this weekend that you felt like, Oh man, I loved that, but I just didn't have, I didn't have as much time to dwell there as I wanted to. Is there anything that jumps out to your mind? No, I feel I would just probably be reiterating some of the things I, I said already on the weekend. Okay. But I can always say something. I know you always can. got more thoughts, but I don't know if it's adding anything new to what was said. Like yeah. I wonder how people react to the idea that um, I I said to people, "Hey, you can be a believer," and I'm being a bit semantical here to make a point. Mm-hmm. Uh, I said, "You can be a believer, and you can accept God's love and forgiveness, but you may decide to not follow Him into what He cares about." I made a distinction between believing and following. Mm-hmm. Um, sure. If you look at the way the New Testament thinks of a believer in the New Testament, a believer is defined by their actions as much as it is by their belief, mm. by what they hold to be true inside. Right. James, you know, faith without deeds is dead. Right. So mm-hmm. it's a bit of a false distinction, but in our common day usage or the way we live it out, I do see a, a distinction. Yeah. And so I don't know if people, how people reacted to that. Hopefully people understood what I meant that just because you're not leading someone to Christ on a given week, you're not losing your salvation. That's not what I'm talking about. Mm-hmm. I think what I'm talking about is um, walking, just participating in the fullness of Jesus's life. I think the, the narrative paints a picture of relationship with Jesus as one of increasing mm-hmm. proximity to Jesus. That's a cool way to think about it. 
There's so many different facets we could think about knowing Jesus. Other people think of it as, you know, uh, like a theological checklist or a behavioral yeah. checklist. But I think it's fascinating to think of relationship with Jesus as proximity to him. How close are you to him and to the things he cares about? How, what degree do you want to participate with him? Mm-hmm. And I think we see that in our relationships. I think you can be like, for example, as a father, I can have varying levels of involvement and participation in my kid's life. Yes. And I could be their father and not go to any of their soccer games. Or I could be a father that goes to their games, or I could be a father that's coaching and going to their games. You know, there's different levels. It's just how much do I want and how much can I make room for? And I Mm -hmm. feel like Jesus is calling us to follow him and understand that following him means participating in his passion to help others come closer to him. Mm Mm-hmm. So I hope that people understood that and don't take it legalistically and take it into a fearful place. Like, oh my gosh, that means every day I must be leading someone to Christ. Yeah. You know, I'm so grateful that you made that distinction. That nuance is a, uh, a powerful one for us to understand. We, we in the West were, we think about things very mechanistically we don't think about things naturally in a holistic matter. Although here in San Diego, uh, I think that we, we have an edge up on certain other parts of the country just because, you know, of the new age movement of, the, of like the, the, the health and food movement that is a natural part of our immediate context. So people have a, this idea of a holistic life it's a little bit. They've got their minds wrapped around it a little bit more than maybe other parts of the country or the West. But yeah, the, the enlightenment really fractures this. Um, this creates this false separation between the life of the mind is the primary seat of of importance. Um, and it allows it creates this divide that becomes really detrimental to the witness of the church over the next 500 years where people start thinking that, oh, well, to be a Christian is to assent to, like you said, this theological checklist rather than participate um, or rather inhabit their faith and embody it in the world in a particular way to become a particular type of presence that reflects the presence of Christ that we see in the gospels, the presence of Christ that we meet in our own intimate time with him. Yeah. Descartes, right. I think therefore I am. Mm-hmm. And uh, I always feel like biblically that would not be the answer. No, it would be, I am loved. Yes. Therefore I am. And the reason why I would say that is you go back to Mark chapter one. What does the father say to Jesus? You are my son whom I love. Mm-hmm. Well, the, the reason why I think that's such a, a powerful idea and it relates immediately to, it has an immediate relationship to this calling on our life to love others into the kingdom. Because for love to be truly mature, right? between two people, it has to be given and received. And it begins as something mm-hmm. received and it's, it begins as grace. Like the son is loved by the father and the son in turn re- loves the father. Mm. And I think that's, I am loved. Therefore I am. And that then from that epicenter kind of flows the, the calling on our life to love other people because the father loves me. I love others. It, so it just, it, so that loving other people, by helping them come to know the lover of their soul is 
is like it, it ought to overflow from that center of really who we are. Mm-hmm. And I think the idea that I can just think thoughts about God, if I have right thoughts about God, then I am in, that I am in relationship with him is just, yeah, it's a total, uh, compo- it's a total like dichotomizing of the way that Jesus saw our identity, mm-hmm. that, that they were kind of together. I mean, that's why James says like, you know, um, faith and works have to be together. Yeah. But, um, well, that's something to think about. This language of proximity, I like how you, you started to center in on that because it is a helpful way. Hey, um, to, I hope we don't become neurotic about this. We can, we can use this as a limited but helpful uh, metaphor. But each action that we take, each thought that we take, each decision that we make, in theory, we are either taking a step, forward-facing step towards a deeper relationship with the living God, or we're taking a step away from proximity with Christ. Yeah, even the very word repent is a directional term related to proximity. So to turn around, uh-huh. to turn. Yeah. Presumably to turn your mind, to change your mind. But, mm-hmm. but the gospel of Mark is constantly painting this picture of people who are physically, literally turning toward Jesus mm-hmm. or turning away from him. So yeah, I think that's, you're right. Proximity is it's a, it's a powerful image. And it's so fascinating too, because in the passage, Jesus sees faith in this last weekend. And someone called it out in the crowd. I think it's Sunday night. I was asking people to interact with me in the passage. And someone really just caught that, that he saw their faith by what they did. Mm-hmm. And that faith was evidenced by their willingness to go to those great lengths to get their friend to Jesus. Mm-hmm. And it clearly demonstrates faith because you wouldn't go to all that effort if you didn't believe getting your friend to Jesus was going to be worth it. Yeah. Reminds me of, uh, maybe, you know, because you're full of all sorts of fun facts, but it's attributed to, to St. Francis of Assisi, but um, preach the gospel at all times when, when necessary, necessary, use words. words. Yeah. yeah, but the guy's life spoke so powerfully. I, uh-huh. I think we would shudder when we think about how powerfully his life spoke. Yeah. That guy, remember, that guy stripped down naked as a declaration of putting off his old self. Yes. The That's old, pretty the, crazy. The old self. Uh, <laughs> yeah, those the, actions speak loudly. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, I mean, it was beautiful and symbolic in that way, um, his old self. And it was a, it was a visceral repudiation of the, the world of wealth that was accessible to him through his family. Yeah. Right. That he was actually expected to step up into this place of influence as a, as a merchant and, you know, all of the, the things that his father's wealth would afford him. And he, he rejected that. So I, Francis is obviously uh, somebody that we could spend a long time talking about, indeed, about indeed. but just that simple image that you, we see in, in the gospel of Mark. Yes. Hey, are we as the people of God here at North coast Calvary chapel, are we becoming each day and each week that we go through the rhythms that is the life of our church and the lives of our families? Are we becoming a more loving person? I mean, that's the question. Jeff Rinke, actually in the very room that we're sitting in, I've heard him pose this question time and time again in our men's skills groups saying, Hey, what is the definition of spiritual of, of true spirituality? That's of good. true faith. Yeah, that's good. The answer is, are you, be- 
are you becoming a more loving person? Are you a more loving person yesterday than you were today? And not just enough, obviously, not just in this, the sentimental, yeah. shallow sense, but in the full-throated, full, fully embodied sense that Christ paints for us. Um, and, this, and that touches on an idea that I think is really visible in this passage that we studied, and that is uh, that the more dedicated we become to being Christ's witnesses in our friends' lives, I really believe the better friend, spouse, roommate we become to that person mm-hmm. because if we're authentically following Christ in loving our neighbors for the, you know, for the purpose of them coming to know Jesus, it, um, it will actually make us more like Jesus because Jesus loved us with the purpose of bringing us to his father. Mm-hmm. He had an agenda, but when that, uh, that, when our devotion to that agenda is sincere and authentic, so that others might know the love of Christ as well. It, it, it actually frees us to care about the person in a more holistic way than we ever would on our own. And if we don't allow the purpose of Christ to be assigned to our relationships, then another purpose will be assigned to those relationships. And it may not be the purpose of Christ. Mm-hmm. I think if we leave a vacuum, another purpose will fill it. And it may be just be something as rudimentary as loving our friends for the purpose of us not feeling alone mm-hmm. of us looking good in the eyes of others, mm-hmm. um, us fulfilling our own social needs. And yeah. that's not a bad thing. It's just, there's a greater, more wonderful reason mm-hmm. and purpose for our friendships than that. And yeah. you can just see these friends like, dude, no one would look at them and go, Oh gosh, they made such a project of that guy. That guy is not sitting there going, geez, yeah. Why are you making me such a project? I mean, that guy is being loved by his friends as they lift him up on that roof. I mean, they are just going out of their way to care for this friend. Mm-hmm. And presumably, right? I mean, we don't know. Yeah. Presumably the guy is not telling them, stop, you, yeah. you jerks. Yeah. <laughs> Put me down. <laughs> presumably yeah. the guy we is... We can neither hurt. confirm nor de- deny consent. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And certainly uh, the end result, um, yeah, it's hard to deny. Yeah, that's a great point. And a great point maybe for us to end this conversation on is the love of Christ as it fills and changes us. Um, the pettiness of our own desires or our personal projects that we have with regard to getting our needs met or being right in some capacity begin to evaporate and they're they're replaced by the desires of God's heart, which are always desires to uplift, to lovingly serve and to humanize, never to patronize. Right. We run the risk. That's our church's value of adult to adult relationship. Mm -hmm. That's what we mean by it. When we say that, like you said, it's not, we're not, we're not patronizing. Mm -hmm. We're not here to, to act like we're superior and we've got it all figured out, but we do have something that others don't. And that is not a bragging on us. It is, it's a recognition of the goodness and the merit and the worthiness of Christ to be shared. Mm-hmm. So, um, you know, if I think I want to just expand this just briefly before we wrap up, just what I think, I don't think it's just with people who don't know Jesus in our life. I think it's the people that sign up to help kids get to know Jesus in the, mm-hmm. in the daycare. I'm not in the daycare. I'm sorry. The children's ministry. I think people that do that, the volunteers in the high school ministry, the junior high ministry, those people are doing 
what those four friends did for that paralyzed friend. They are helping those kids get to know Jesus in a way that they couldn't do on their own. And I think anytime we're helping somebody get to know God, who, for whatever reason, because of some, whatever, some life circumstance, some stage of life that they're in, there are barriers for them. There's, there's ways in which they can't reach God, get to know God. They can't see God in the, whatever, you know, it could be someone going through grief or loss. Mm-hmm. Um, and people come alongside that person to help them find God in their circumstance. I think that that's living out what Jesus is talking about here. Um, I hope it wasn't also overly just reduced to like, they're a non-believer. If they're not a non-believer, then it's not fishing for people. It's not that overly like restricted. Yeah. It's uh, helping just open, make openings for people who are having a hard time connecting with God and finding God in their moment to mm-hmm. seeing God and experiencing him. Like I had a friend who's going through a really hard time in uh, their personal life and just had them stay with uh, us for a couple of days. And just having that friend stay with us for a couple of days um, as they're working through this personal issue, they're a believer, they believe in Jesus, but they were having a hard time finding Christ in their pain. Mm. I think that's what Jesus is talking about. Mm-hmm. I think that's being a fisher of people. That's making an opening for others to meet Jesus where they're at. Mm-hmm. I think that's a perfect place to end. Ryan, thanks for the conversation. We're looking forward to next next week and the uh, the conclusion of chapter two, and then a, a follow up conversation about that as we all learn to just follow Jesus together. Absolutely, it's going to be a raucous ride because the Pharisees are just beginning to sharpen their knives. <laughs> it's just about to get crazy. So, but it's going to make what's a story without some conflict? Yeah, come on. All right, Ryan, thanks, man. We'll yeah. see you next week. Thanks for joining us for this week's episode of the Just Follow Jesus podcast. For more information about the series or our church, you can visit northcoastcalvarychapel.org. We also still have some copies of a special coffee table quality journal that we designed and put together to accompany this series in the Gospel of Mark. This whole podcast is a resource of North Coast Calvary Chapel. It's produced and directed by Joseph Carlson. The editing has been done by Nate King, and the music is by the one and only Brian McMaster. Thanks for joining us, and we'll see you next week. Mm